Welcome to the Mama Needs a Moment podcast. We're your hosts, Chrissy and Cindy, co-founders of Her Health Collective. We are two moms obsessed with revolutionizing the way moms take care of themselves. Every other week, we dive into the topics that matter to moms most, answering your most pressing questions as we learn from top-notch experts, swap stories, tap into our creative sides, and advocate for the causes that moms truly care about, all while hanging with your mom friends. We're so glad you're here. Let's dive in. If we look for the good, it's there, even though there's so many challenges and things that happen that make it hard to see sometimes. I just think we have to like really concentrate on redirecting our focus. Casta Hamilton describes herself as the queen of pivots and not just turns. She is an entrepreneur, author, speaker, educator, and mom who believes in using her experiences to empower and inspire others to reach their fullest potential. Chasta is kind, driven, passionate, and easy to talk to, which made our conversation in this episode intimate, fun, and so full of value. As you'll soon hear, Chasta is ambitious and isn't one to sit back and wait for things to happen, clearly demonstrated by being an owner of a nonprofit, two dance studios, and author of Trash the Trophies. She believes in transparency, not only with her personal experiences, but also with her businesses. A life in the performing arts has equipped Chasta with the ability to see all of its powerful benefits as well as flaws. You will hear Chasta discuss how she evaluated and bravely tackled the risk of choosing to do business differently in the performing arts and how she's never felt torn about her decision. Here's our discussion with Chasta. All right. Fill in the blank. Motherhood okay. is. Motherhood is magical mayhem. <laughs> Yay! That's great. Did you just come up with that? I just came up with that. that I did. Beautiful. I did. I read the questions in advance, but that was like last week. So yeah, it's something that I think about a lot because it is like so magical, right? And there's nothing in the world that matches it, but it also just adds this just wilderness level of everyday living. <laughs> so and funny I, when you say where wilderness, I think of feral and I'm like, that is so true. Things yeah. are very feral. You know, there's so many resources, like you can find information on anything you want, but like at the end of the day, like we're all just kind of on this like wilderness train of motherhood, flying by the seat of our pants and doing everything else we do. But like, no matter what's happening, then like your child smiles or squeals or does like a milestone. And you're like, oh my gosh, this is so magical. No matter how wild you look or how crazy the day is or how unkempt. So true. And so good. Because even when they're older, they'll come to you with a Valentine that they wrote at school with just this magical stuff inside. And you're like, oh my gosh, first of all, you can write that well. <laughs> like you, you know how to write. <laughs> when did you grow up? And you know, it, it's just so touching. Beautiful answer. I loved it. What do you value most in a friendship? Loyalty and transparency. Very nice. You know, I think loyalty is this almost like a pastime. Like, I don't think we talk about it enough because the world is like so quick and so fast and things are changing. And 
I just think there's something to be said, you know, where you can like reach out to someone from 20 years ago or 30 years ago or five years ago, no matter where you are, like in the world or in your lives and still have that connection without necessarily this dutiful expectation, right? Like if you've dropped the ball or you haven't sent a card every holiday, but there's still just this bond and the shared experience and understanding. I think that's really, really valuable and special and just kind of riding that roller coaster of life together. And then the transparency, you know, I think when, when we don't have transparency, that's where relationships start to crack. And I think when you have friends that can just be like, you're being really annoying today, or I can't believe you said that to me, you know, the people that can actually share in their honest emotions, I think that's really important because you know, with my child and with the children we teach, I think understanding emotions and not having to feel like you're this superficial facade of yourself is really, really important. And that's why my closest friends, I would say those are two of the things that I value the most in them. Are those friends that you've met now in your life or that you have had previously in your life, whether it was college or dance or whatever? It's, it's kind of like a, a buffet, right? There's like the childhood representative, high school representative, the college representative, the career representative, the staff that was my student representative. So there's so many voices from so many different phases of life. And I think that's important that we kind of have somebody that has known us in all of those different elements of our journey. Chrissy, you have permission to tell me when I'm being annoying. (laughs) I think we've we've reached that point. Thanks, Fred. <laughs> no, because in the beginning, she was like, you know, those like you're not there just, yet, Cindy. You're doing fine. You're okay. <laughs> they can tell you when you're being annoying. And I'm like, okay, Chrissy, we've reached that point. You can tell me when I'm annoying. <laughs> All right, Chesta, what is the most daring thing you've ever done? To the external world, it's probably just like a lot of the accomplishments, like the studios or the book. For me, it, it actually, I feel like it was having a child because I wasn't sure that being a mom was going to be in my, you know, life's journey. And that felt very bold and daring to me because I'm, you know, I'm 36. Like I'm not as young as like a lot of moms, like right out of the gate. So that felt like a really daring thing just on like a macro level. And on a micro level, I have to say that it was holding a snake at the Girls Geared for Greatness because I'm terrified of snakes, but the girls came to me and they said, there's this 17 year old entrepreneur that has this company snake experience. She would be a great speaker. And if the students are coming to me with recommendations, like I want to honor their interest. And she's like bringing all of her reptiles in one of my staff. She goes, Chasta, this is a lot of snakes. And, you know, it it was like so scary and thrilling to be able to like facilitate their interest and also grow a little bit personally. And that that's like, you know, very micro compared to having a child, but I both felt very daring on like a personal journey. So side note to the listeners, (laughs) I brought our oldest daughter to Girls Geared for Greatness to see this, this girl and speak. And first of all, she was amazing. She had her stuff together. So for a 17 year old, she was incredible. Like what an amazing entrepreneur. And I just, that's, that excites me. Yes. And our daughter who is 11 loved the reptiles and amphibians. I was like, what if, what have you done, Chesta? (laughs) Why did I bring her here? (laughs) 
I don't want snakes in my home. She wants a snake now. She's holding this enormous, what was it? A boa constrictor yeah, named Diana. Diana. Yeah, Diana. Oh my gosh. And then she was holding a toad and the toad, I was, we were sitting on the floor and the toad jumped from her hand into my bag and peed in my bag. I actually <laughs> didn't know that. I didn't know yeah. that. Everybody was like, it's okay. It's sterile. And I'm like, no, it's toad pee in my bag. <laughs> on my mittens, on my hat. <laughs> it was that now on your head. <laughs> I was like, wash them, wash them. Yeah. So, um, but that was fantastic. We really enjoyed it. And it was a great time for her and I to spend together. So, and Cindy, now your youngest is saying that she wants to start a business, right? Don't I remember her mention? That's so awesome. Yes. She's wants to start a business called Jolie's Helping Hands, where she goes and she, and she's even recruited Chrissy. This is so touching. She's even talked to one of her classmates and her, she's going to be a, a co co-founder of it. <laughs> this Gosh, I love it. Like us. Well, we are planning like an entrepreneurial pitch program for like aspiring young entrepreneurs, like later in the spring. So that's like, on oh my gosh, coming soon docket. That will be amazing. Okay. Keep us posted. But these these girls are so smart. Like, and so, you know, when, you know, when they're coming to me with names of you know, female youth that are doing really inspiring things. I was like, yeah, let's do it. Bring all the snakes. Even though like in my heart, I'm like, oh. Right. You're like, I need to face my fear. This is yeah, how I get over I it. Like, I, I have to be fear. brave. I have to be brave for the girls. What advice would you give your younger self? Well, to listen to your gut. Mm. Because <laughs> that's, that's one that I've learned the hard way and that I'm still learning. So listen to your gut and to just to, to just be confident in like the path you're paving. I know in my twenties, you know, it was so, it was such a priority of like what other people thought, right? Like there's that, that you want to please everyone else. And sometimes you're not listening like to your voice in the process of trying to please them. And then I don't know, like in your thirties, that just kind of decreases, it diminishes a little bit. So yeah, just, just being confident and listening to that gut. Are good tips. Yeah. And I love how you said that it's diminished. Maybe you could do a training on that. How have you not let it speak louder as you've had kids? Because that's something that our moms talk about a lot is what other people think and what other people say. They really struggle with that in their, in their parenting. Yeah. And I, I will say I wrestled with that a little bit in pregnancy too, because I do feel like And, you know, I think one of the reasons it's diminished for me is because I've just been through some, some real change experiences, you know, ranging from like the death of my parents in my childhood to leaving the competitive industry and dance to being COVID resilient during the pandemic. So when I became pregnant, you know, it was kind of after going through a few rings of fire and, but I, what I did notice, and that was very unsettling to me is that there are people that want to project their narratives onto you, right? Like I remember somebody saying like, oh, well, hang up ever having dinner with your husband again. And it's like, okay, what? Like that sounds so, so doomsday. And I actually, I spoke to my therapist about it and, and she gave me this really great nugget of advice that was, you know, people are going to share their scripts And it it may even be like their very worst piece of their script to you. But just because they're projecting their narrative doesn't mean that that becomes your narrative. So that's something that I've really kept in focus. 
the last little bit of time. And that's been very helpful of like, we can listen and learn from others' narratives, but those don't have to be our narrative. Absolutely. You are the author of your own story and you can determine, you know, what the next phase of life will look like always. Yeah. I loved your answer about following your gut. When I had made the decision to leave teaching, I was asking everybody because I just didn't know what to do if I should do it or not. And I was like, should I listen to my head or my heart or my gut? Because they're all telling me, <laughs> I, I, my head is telling me this logical answer. My heart is telling me this. And then my gut, you know, and my dad actually was the one that said, always follow your gut because it is the, the combination of your head and your heart. It, it's the, the two together. And that has always kind of stuck with me. So I agree with you. Follow your gut for sure. You mentioned this a moment ago. You briefly touched on it in your fabulous book, Trash the Trophies, which is, I wasn't expecting it to be so much fun to read. I I could not put it down and it was really a blast to read. So I'm excited to dive into that a little bit more. But you also touch on this in your TEDx talk, which was also phenomenal. It's entitled, You Weren't Built to Break. And just so many great nuggets of wisdom in that talk. You briefly touch on the loss of your father and then your mother at a very, very young age. In both of these pieces, what you focus on is the coping skills that you developed as you navigated these losses. Through your work, you know, I'm specifically thinking of all I read through in reading your book, you have handled all kinds of hardships and challenges and disruptions and seemingly always with a smile on your face. Now, I know you mentioned, you know, standing on a loading dock, getting a few tears out and, and, and things like that. But then you always come back with this attitude of, okay, I got this. How will I turn this into an opportunity? And I love that. Can you talk to us a bit about this positive attitude? What does the internal dialogue look like for you when you're faced with quote unquote bad news? And perhaps most importantly, do you have any advice for how others, me, how, how can I, (laughs) how can we put this same positive attitude and adaptability into practice? Yeah. So that is, that's a jam packed question. And it's kind of crazy that, that this life that I've been so blessed to live has had so many challenges, crises. And what's really exciting is I have a second book coming out, I think at the end of the summer, that is actually kind of about all of that. That's um, but amazing. I, yeah, so it's super exciting. I just had my first publishing call yesterday. So the first full, Congratulations. Um, full draft goes in. Um, wait but yes. So if Trash the Trophies was like the tip of the iceberg, this goes to like a little bit lower in the iceberg. And it's, I, I'm calling the second book kind of the bridge between like if the TEDx talk is in the middle, there's like Trash the Trophies and there's the TEDx talk. And then the second book is kind of like above and beyond the TEDx talk. Because when I sat down with the TEDx people, I had this whole list of challenges, obstacles, disruptions that have happened. And they were like, okay, whoa, like we can only talk about like three of those. Um, <laughs> so I was like, well, I have this whole roster, so I'm, I'm excited for that, but I do, you know, and something we talk about in the dance studios a lot is, you know, there's a difference between forcing positivity, which, you know, there's this whole like toxic positivity movement, which is kind of yucky. And then there's this, like this sense of optimism. And I think the important thing as we're encouraging adaptability, resilience, and perseverance 
is kind of carrying this hope for optimism because we have to have a positive outlook on what's to come. Otherwise we tend to sink into the negative or the darkness. So for me, it's more of when things are being presented, it's like, you know, what is, what is the opportunity in this obstacle? Where can this take us? And that doesn't mean that it's easy. That doesn't mean that I don't cry. That doesn't mean that there haven't been things so horrible that I've vomited even, right? Like really bad things happen. And and I don't, I never want people to think that the positivity is like a costume for the hurt because that's, that's not, I, I always think people need to be honest in their emotions and their experiences and things can be just absolutely horrible. So I think it's important to process that in a very honest way, you know, whether that's sitting in your car and crying for a little bit calling friends, you know, whatever, whatever you need to do. And then there is kind of that point where it's like, okay, now we move into action. You know, we've processed the experience, the challenge, and then now what can we do to address it? Whether that's allowing it to elevate, you know, what's coming next, or whether it's just a piece of our story and an advice that we take for ourselves, you know, that's kind of you know, the process that, that I, you know, that I, that I use. I would love to, well, I would love to do this for a lot of people, but I would love to be inside your head for a day. Just hear the England. I think about that a lot. Wouldn't wouldn't that be a great superpower? Sometimes. I I would (laughs) love to be inside my partner Noah's head for a day. I just like, I think that that would be just very eye-opening for me, but for, uh, for you in particular, Testa, I mean, so much of what you talk about, like you, you mentioned not wearing it, the, the positivity is a costume. And, and I wholeheartedly agree with that. What does that internal dialogue look like for you? Do, like, do you have to dig yourself out of sort of a negative loop sometimes? And how do you, how do you do that? Yeah, there, you know, the negative loop, I, you know, I think it's something that is probably weighing on a lot of women right now. Um, not to project that onto anyone, but just you know, I feel it. January and February are always kind of these weird months. You know, the weather's not great. We're coming off the holiday. Obviously, we're still in a pandemic and whatever chaos that kind of has swirling. And, you know, there's there's the child care piece, women working piece. There's so much conversation. There's the depression, anxiety, panic in our youth that, I mean, we're seeing that in the studios a lot. And, and I do kind of, you know, the last little bit, the past few months, especially have, have been in this like thought cycle of, wow, like what's happening, what's going, you know, and, and also just like trying to find that purpose of, well, what can I do to make it better? That, that's like one of my coping mechanisms is action and girls geared for greatness has, has kind of been like a cathartic piece of that. And also, you know, just on the motherhood side, because we all have all these roles we have, right? Like mom, and we have our careers and family member, wife, all of these things that we want to be really great at. And that balance can be challenging. So, you know, when, when those scales are tipped and it's, you know, you're feeling frustrated in one arena or the other, I try to add focus and just say, this is actually, a, you know, a blessing, right? Like the fact that I get to spend so much time with my son, like what a huge blessing. Like I lost my parents so early on. That's such a special opportunity and bond. And I think maybe I have a different outlook on that, right? And losing my dad at two and my mom at nine. And, 
you know, prior to having my son, and I feel comfortable saying this because this is a mom's group predominantly. At the beginning of the pandemic, I had a really terrible miscarriage. And so, you know, I found out I was pregnant in early March, 2020. And then at that first appointment in May, 2020, found out that it was not a viable pregnancy. And that was, that was really devastating because I was losing my business. You know, this little piece of hope was, sorry, I get emotional about it, fizzling away. And I was just like, what, like, where is, you know, where's the rainbow in all of this? Like it was, it was really hard. And this is what I was saying, like, feel your emotions, right? So this is okay. (laughs) And I just said, you know, the universe has like a bigger plan here. And, you know, and then a few months later, you know, I was pregnant again and had a very healthy pregnancy and now have the most, you know, vivacious little boy and have a very like recovering business and a nonprofit that's thriving. And, you know, there's just, if we look for the good, like it's there, even though there's so many challenges and things that happen that make it hard to see sometimes, I just think we have to like really concentrate on redirecting our focus. Thank you so much for sharing that. I'm sure that there are a lot of our listeners that can relate to what you said. And it feels good to know that you felt safe to share Mm -hmm. it with us. And we're very sorry for your loss. And um, at the same time, you did become a mom in the summer of 2021. How has your background in performing arts the loss of your parents at a young age, you said two and nine, and the way you were raised, how does that, how has that shaped your experience as a parent thus far? Cause your, your little one is not nine months, right? You said, (laughs) yeah, yeah, yeah. nine months. So, you know, it, it is amazing how I feel like everything has actually played out in perfect time. And, you know, one of the reasons that I felt so obviously, you know, devastated about the miscarriage. And I know that pregnancy challenge is something so many women experience and that people don't talk about nearly enough. But, you know, I sat in the comfort of what was happening at that time because of this, just the tremendous number of women that I know through the dance studios that have experienced something similar and were vulnerable enough to share that with me. So I also, you know, made a commitment that when appropriate, like I would make sure to share my story and and talking about like how experiences have shaped us, you know, when I was talking about like in your twenties, when you're so worried about like what people think of you, part of that for me was not really telling people anything about my past because I never wanted it to be seen as like a weakness or something that was atypical from, you know, you want to fit in, right? Like you, you want so hard to fit in. And I felt like so many things had happened that kind of made me an outsider. So I, I was putting like a costume on truly and not being honest with some parts of my story. And then, you know, as I kind of crossed that 30 threshold, I was like, it's, it's really, I just felt like it was time to be more honest for, just for myself and for my past. Um, when I started sharing that more vulnerable piece, I realized like how much connection that creates and it allows a lot of other people to feel more honest about who they are. Even, you know, as we've had, students suffer loss of their parents like I feel like we've had you know a shared bond and I've been able you know to say you know this had this happened to me it happened to you there are brighter days Mm. um there will there will be days that feel dark but there will be brighter days and what I've learned is that you know 13 years of the dance studios trained me 
in ways to be a mom that I never thought possible because I realized that the way like I've nurtured children through the businesses has prepared me to nurture my son. But then in the magic of having like my own son, I realized like the gravity and the importance of the work that we're doing. And it makes me want to continue to elevate to our students even more in the studios and through Girls Geared for Greatness. And as far as my upbringing, you know, I just think about how this community kind of like rallied around me, you know, my mom's sister took an early retirement from the Air Force, moved back to Tennessee, launched a second career as a fourth grade teacher, raised me. And then in 2017, she retired and moved back, moved back here and now works at the studios. So it's, it's a very... It's, you know, it's, it's a sweet story. And it's just, you know, when I think about my past and my experiences, I think one of the constant threads, in spite of all these horrible things that have happened, is that it has shown that there's so much good in the world. And it's just like I said, you just have to look for it sometimes or, you know, like you can say, well, she lost both of her parents. Well, I did. And that was a really unfortunate thing. But in that happening, there were so many people that rose to the occasion and said, let's make sure that this child still has like a really amazing upbringing and life and that we're there to support her. And that's pretty exceptional too. So I just, I just think we can't get, and, and I'm guilty of this. And I think it's probably a universal thing is that we can sometimes feel too stressed about things that don't really matter. You know, like there's a water damage plank of floor in our kitchen that's like starting to pop up. So like last night I was like putting a chair on it with like the 30 pound bag of dog food to see if I could like smush it into the floor. And this morning, my husband was like, why is that chair in the middle of the kitchen? I know I can see myself in you so, so much right now. Yeah. And I was like, I know that was so ridiculous. Right. But like, it just felt right last night. And it was just like, really like, that's not it's not something to get jacked up about, but you know, in the moments it's like last night, it was that little, that piece of wood was really upsetting me. <laughs> sure. Of course. And so I'm curious in your Ted talk, you had encouraged people to, and this is the exact statement quote, bend to your circumstances, mm-hmm. look them in the eye and give them a wink end quote. Is this what you're talking about? Is that what you meant when you said that statement? And if so, how, tell me, how can I teach my children to benefit from this advice? Yeah, I'm (laughs) I'm tickling myself up because I'm like, did I bend to that plank of wood and give it a wink last night when I put the chair on top of it? (laughs) (laughs) I, you know, it's still sitting on it. So time will tell if that actually worked or not. But so, you know, what I think about it is we can't discard what's happening, right? Like sometimes it would just be so much better to be like, make it go away, stop. Like, I don't want this in my life. But whatever happens is put in our life for a reason. So instead of just like pushing it to the back burner, just take it on. As terrible as that may feel, the thing is like the more you practice that, the easier it becomes. And I do, and this is something that I that I have to coach myself as a mom because you know, sometimes I'll be like, I'll I'll look at Bash like when he's sleeping and I'm like, oh, I hope the world is like kinder to him in some ways than it has been to me. But then I'm like, do I wish that? Because I feel like I'm a really strong person because it's this, it's this, you know, inner, inner turmoil of safeguarding and this like bubble protection or like letting the experiences happen. And I just, there's so much to gain through experiences and through failure and through learning and these obstacles. 
that that's that's what when the circumstances happen i think the important thing is that we don't feel like we can't cope or we can't handle them or that you know and that doesn't mean we have to do it on our own but i don't i just it's really important to me that people not feel like any you know this is something that my aunt taught me is that your circumstances you know they don't define you but they can motivate you so how can you take what's happened and use it I think that's important. This episode is sponsored by Her Circle, the supportive and welcoming community for moms created by Her Health Collective. Her Circle is a welcoming and supportive community for moms who are passionate about making change for themselves, their families, the community, and the world. Together, this village of women are revolutionizing the way moms take care of themselves. From an active, private online community and the incredible daily chats hosted there to our many virtual gatherings, including support groups, Moms Night Out, volunteer opportunities, book club, family adventures, coffee chats, and so much more. We love providing moms the chance to connect and create authentic relationships with one another. The network of experts in her circle are a phenomenal resource and provide great learning experiences for moms on topics ranging from women's health to parenting. We cover the issues that matter to moms the most, from virtual expert Q&As to one-on-one wellness minute consultations and support groups. We are committed to getting moms in front of the information, experts, and support they need most. To learn more about her circle, head to www.herhealthcollective.com slash her dash circle. We have a limited number of spaces and the doors only open a few times a year. So be sure to add your name to the no obligation waitlist so you are the first to know when the doors officially reopen. Absolutely. We've had a number of experts on recently that have talked about the value of struggle and how it builds resiliency. And, you know, especially with raising kids, it's so important to always keep that in mind. We actually just had Dr. Paredes on recently, and she mentioned the lawnmower parent who tries to mow everything down in front of their child so that they, you know, don't have the struggle. And, you know, I'm guilty of that to a certain degree. I I think we all are. We all want our child to be successful and, and, you know, see them making strides towards their goals, but it, and it's hard to watch them struggle, but there's so much value in giving them that opportunity to overcome it. So wholeheartedly agree with that. Speaking of my child, (laughs) my child is lucky enough to attend your dance studio. She absolutely loves it. And she, she was adamant about wanting to dance. So she was the one that kind of pushed for this. And I am not a dance. I was, did not dance as a child. I don't watch any of the reality dance shows. I I don't know a lot about the dance industry, but I said, okay, you look cute in a tutu. Let's do this. I read your book and whoa, the competitive dance industry sounds ridiculously scary. (laughs) You go through each of these things in turn in your book, trash the trophies. You talk about the money, which is absurd. You talk about the hypersexualization of children, which makes my heart stop. And in a broader sense, you talk about the competitive dance industry taking away the joy of the art of dance for both parents and students. You, you touch on both sides of that. 
Speaking for myself as a mom whose daughter, again, loves taking dance at your studio, this all sounds horrible. This is not at all something I want my child involved in. Yet it seems that the allure of the trophy, the accolades, the addictive nature of fame, recognition, glory, as you call it, has swayed a lot of families. In fact, you faced an uphill battle in moving your studio out of the business of competing. Can you share a bit about what the final catalyst was for you in making that decision and how things are going now that you are several years out of the competitive dance industry? Yeah, so the the major rebrand happened in 2015. And what I always like to say is that I'm not anti-competition, right? Like I think there is like a healthy place for competition when it's meaningful and the return on investment is there. And, you know, like I always say, I got a full academic scholarship to college. Like, of course, I believe in competition, but the dance competition industry is deregulated, profitized, it's expensive, like you were saying, there's no rhyme or reason. And, you know, recently there's been even more really concerning allegations swirling about what happens that we weren't privy to in 2015, 2016. But, you know, it's like I say in the book, like there was just a gut feeling that this was not something that I wanted to be a part of. And my only regret is that I made, that I waited so long because I really wanted to, to mitigate the risk of what this might mean if we stepped away. But I, I do wish I had done it a little bit sooner. And the, the part that is concerning and that weighs on me is that you know, like you were saying, Christy, a lot of parents don't know the industry. Like they are relying on the studio owners to make choices that are right for their child. And as studio owners, I believe we have this obligation to educate. And that's even if, even if you do decide to participate in competition, because, you know, like as the book says, like I was a competitive dancer, I was an instructor and choreographer, I've been as a studio owner, and then I was even a competitive judge for several years. We have an obligation to be transparent and share what this industry is. And even if people choose to participate, they should know the events they're going to. They should know kind of the goal, the purpose, like like what what is what outcomes are we looking for? What are the takeaways? And if that answer is, you know, I'm only showing up at this because. I won a trophy and an outcome that could change between weekend to weekend that it doesn't make a lot of sense. And that ultimately is what motivated our decision to leave because people, you know, if they would quote unquote win one weekend, they would say that they had outgrown our training. If they were quote unquote losing, they would say that we weren't training them at an advanced enough level, but none of it meant anything because there's no state. It's, you know, it's not like ice skating in the Olympics. There's no regulation or standardization. And, you know, in youth sports, I think parents are used to a basketball game, right? There's a winner, there's a loser, or even like ice skating or gymnastics. There are skill sets that show, you know, where you're at. And in, in competitive dance, like that just doesn't exist because you're trying to place an objective value on a performing art. And that's a really hard thing to do. Like it doesn't, it doesn't really make a lot of sense. So I ultimately was just like, we cannot allow like our business valuation to be defined by a third party industry that's deregulated. And in endorsing that as a studio owner, then I'm approving their operations, right? Like I'm approving what's happening in that environment. And in turn, by telling my clients, yes, let's participate in this. They're taking that as my, you know, trust in my judgment. 
And I take that very seriously. And I just, I reached a point where I could not say, yes, this is the right track for your child. This is the way your dollar should be invested. And, you know, I, I feel really great in that choice. Like there hasn't been a day where I've been, where I felt torn about was that the right choice? Because there are so many things, like if you read the book, I even list out like all of the things that I had written down that were concerning to me. And like you were saying, hypersexualization, appropriateness, you know, performing arts doesn't have to be inappropriate. Like we should allow children to be children and we should allow them to do it in their own way and on their own journey, because that's when they're going to reap the true rewards, which are confidence, discipline, work ethic, you know, collaborative teamwork, all of those good, meaty things that are going to benefit them, whether they dance another day in their life, or whether they go on to corporate America, or whether they're an entrepreneur, those are the skills that they can take on. And I was like, this is what we have to focus on cultivating. And when we made that flip, you know, and it did take some time to educate the population, you know, move through the transition. We had students leave, we had staff leave, but when we kind of, you know, hit that rhythm, enrollment started increasing and we knew that we were on the right track. And every year, you know, it's, I never feel like we've arrived. Like, I feel like it's, it's continually a work in progress. And a really exciting thing is that I've helped, you know, several studios all around the U.S. kind of shift away from that, from the competitive piece. And I hear from them regularly about how much better they feel like their programming is, how the kids are benefiting. And it, you know, it's just, it's any, any field really. I think the book at its heart is about personal and professional transformative leadership and just making that move when you know it's the right move to make. Yeah. I, I mean, absolutely. I, what a ripple effect you and this brave decision that you made is having. I mean, all across the country, you're seeing studios making that shift. And just think of every student that that is impacting. You just listed all the benefits that you're seeing. And I see it in my own daughter. You know, I, I do see how it develops her confidence. And, you know, especially as she gets older, I can see the other ways that this approach to dance can impact the other areas of her life as, as a, you know, growing adult and in the, the school setting. So I, I applaud you. I, I think it's an amazing shift that was made. Because as a mom, like, like you want your dollars to go towards something that you feel is going to benefit your child in the long run. Like, that's what I'm going to be looking for, for my son. And it's like, you can have a skill, right? Like you can, you can teach a child a skill, like soccer or basketball or dance but I think the power of extracurricular is when we can take this skill and then we can level it up to say okay well you have a skill but here's how it is going to benefit you from a humanistic perspective and that's when I feel there's just like gold to be found and I, I think that's you know it's an exciting challenge for all of the extracurriculars of how can we level up our support for our clients as we move forward, especially as we're kind of moving through this pandemic period where there has been so much instability and, you know, dialogue and conflict. How, how can we use our extracurriculars to be a calming, uplifting presence that's still cultivating like all of those good skills? Because I think if there was ever a time that it, they're needed, it's now. Yeah, I agree with you wholeheartedly. It is definitely the purpose for extracurriculars in my mind. And I think for, for many parents.
Now, slightly switching gears a little bit, but still related to the students largely in your, your classroom. You know, when I drop my daughter off, it is a lot of girls in, in the class. Now, I was very moved by a section in your book titled Penis Points. Great title, by the way. So um, icky though, right? Like I just, I actually hate, I, so I recorded the audio book of Trash the Trophies last week. I saw um, that. Which was so fun and it should be out in early March, but just saying that phrase, like yeah. it actually makes my skin crawl a little. <laughs> are, are you one of those people that doesn't like the word moist? So I don't mind the word oh, moist. Okay. Okay. I, yeah, it's just, but it's just like, it's for me, like from an industry perspective, it's cringy, right? It's cringy yeah. that that exists yeah, yeah, in yeah. our industry. I'm wondering how many of our listeners had a skin crawl moment when I said that. It's uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable. Sorry, yes. Well, anyways, this section of your book where you discuss the reverse gender inequality within the competitive dance industry, I actually found very moving. Uh, basically, this label, penis points, is for the male dancers who quickly gain success during competitions simply because they are male. And yet, despite this apparent encouragement for males at the competitive level, you also detail the all too common sentiment that you often see, especially here in the South, that boys shouldn't be involved in dance. You offer several moving examples of the real impact of boys in dance. And again, I was just very moved by this part. So I actually want to share some of these you say, let's talk about the real impact of boys in dance. I have a boy signing up to start class because his physical therapist believes it will help him with his mild cerebral palsy. I have a boy who was born with clubfoot that had to fight to learn how to walk, and now he expresses himself with movement and ballet. I've taught the boys at the Governor Moorhead School for the Blind. One of those boys went on to UNC Charlotte and is majoring in dance. He is the first UNCC dance student with a visual impairment and the university has worked with him to develop a movement mentor program. I've witnessed the joy that dance brings to the boys at the Frankie Lemon School and Development Center. I've had the honor of teaching a young boy who lost his life way too soon from cancer and had the incredible privilege of working with him and his mom on a very special routine. In the last six years, I've directed and or choreographed 35 theater productions in our area. I've watched teen to adult males give their all to learn choreography, including ballet, to create exceptional performances that make Raleigh an artistically rich area to live. Let's take a moment and focus on how we can lift others up instead of tearing people down. I believe that dance is for all ages, all genders, and all levels of ability. We need to strip away the stigma and bullying that surrounds boys and dance and instead celebrate the many ways it can positively impact our students and our society. Mic drop. <laughs> I just, I loved that part it's so, so true. much. I mean, it's something I get so jacked up about. And, you know, so, and, you know, we will, we'll be at kids expos and such promoting the studio or, you know, we used to be pre-pandemic, hopefully they'll come back soon, but, and people would walk by and it would just be like, oh, I have a boy. And it's like, wait, wait, stop. Wait, let's, let's why, chip away at that. Why do you think we're still so stuck in this rigid mindset? Yeah, you know, I, I feel like there's been a lot of thought philosophy happening, you know, in, during the pandemic, just in general, of inequalities and where we can do better, how we can learn. And I would like to think that gender acceptance is a part of that. And, you know, in the book, I talk about 
boys kind of, you know, getting that beat down in this, in this field in particular. But I think that's also, you know, now we're looking at, you know, non-binary representation, or if we have a male presenting student that feels more comfortable in the female presenting attire or vice versa. Like, I, I think the heart of that message and where I was going with that whole segment about the boys is inclusivity, right? Like, let's not say that dance isn't for anyone. If you are having body image issues and you don't feel comfortable wearing the leotard and the tights, like let's talk about it and let's find a way that you can still feel comfortable and generate the benefit of this physical art, right? Because it's exercise, but it's also very like spiritually and emotionally healing. And and let's let's meet each other and kind of that human sect and move from there. Like, what do you need as a human to be able to experience and appreciate and enjoy what we're teaching? And I think that's the heart of it. And, you know, as parents, I think we have to be open to, to you know, if a boy is curious in movement and, you know, my husband will even say this, he'll say, I, he was like, I'm so grateful that my son has you because I was too scared to, he was like, he can sing and he can act. And we actually met through theater. That's not his full-time job, but, you know, he's very talented. And, and he'll say, you know, I feel like I missed out on that opportunity because I didn't have someone like you that said, this is okay. And I think that's what we have, that's, that's where we can do better, right? Is this is okay. Like you want to pursue dance, great. You know, a lot of football players take ballet and a lot of soccer players take ballet because it improves their footwork. So let's not look at it as this is traditionally like this kind of an exercise or a sport, but let's look at it as this is a skill, this is a skill no different than we all learn math, right? And so why why can dance not be viewed in kind of that same arena? Well, and especially in light of what we just talked about previously, you know, with regard to all the other benefits that come through right. dance, you know, the confidence that develops. And I, I mean, I'm seeing that in strides in my daughter. And why wouldn't we also want that for our, our young boys? And, you know, it's, it's interesting because things like cotillion are socially acceptable, right? So it shouldn't just be okay to do like a waltz step, but not okay to come and take like a jazz dance class. So I think, and you know, and that's another piece of where like knowledge is power and in educating and in making it comfortable, you know, a lot of times when our male students, you know, want to come to the studio, they'll say, what other classes have other boys in them? And, and we are very transparent in that information because maybe that's going to put them in a more comfortable environment for how they can learn. And I just, it's fun. Dance is a fun thing for everyone. And, you know, babies and toddlers like bash is already bopping around and and they're just they're born with that rhythm in their heart so let's not allow let's not stifle that expression and that joy that's so natural oh what you said was just so moving to me on so many levels over the years my eyes have become so much more opened to the harsh stigmatization throughout our culture and you're right. The education is huge because that's where it all started with me was just one podcast. And that podcast opened up to another podcast and opened up to books and then opened up to teaching with various different experts. And it's, it's just so important. I'm going to take you into your nonprofit now. I'm so excited to talk more about that. So not only do you own a dance studio with two locations and you wrote the book that we were just talking about, 
but you also are the founder and president of a nonprofit called Girls Geared for Greatness. The organization was designed to empower and inspire girls ages seven to 18 through meaningful and unique training and development opportunities, various different workshops and seminars. We talked briefly in the beginning about how I joined into one of these workshops and just with my daughter, and it was just absolutely lovely. I'm really excited to hear what fueled your desire to begin this amazing program. Well, and on the flip side, you know, we were just talking about inclusivity and people are like, well, why is it only for girls? And that is a question that I get very frequently. And and I do want to address that because I know a lot of people think it, and it is because there are conditions that are specific to the female experience. We never turn a male or a non-binary person away from participating, but the conversation is tailored to some of these challenges that girls and females specifically experience or overcome or journey towards. And, you know, especially in the last two years with, you know, there's been the she session where so many women have been displaced in the workplace. And so I'll rewind it back a little bit to 2016. A mom said, you should start a leadership program. And I said, whoa, like I just left competition. We're rebranding. Like now is not the time. My plate's a little too full. But I, that idea never left me. And in 2018, I was speaking at a conference in Arizona and I was just like, it just felt so right that the time was now. So I announced it in one of my speaking sessions and had no plan, but I just, I called the staff and I said, well, I announced it at this conference to like two or 300 people. So let's get it moving. And it launched that October under the umbrella of the studio. But the first year we had over 200 participants and it was so successful. And, you know, people were saying this could really stand on its own. It could generate funding. It could be its own nonprofit. And because we are like a 90% female driven audience at the studios, we see the challenges at, at these different increments ranging from ages two to 18. And the, the point was like, let's not talk about, you know, this is all kind of happening around the Me Too movement. And it's like, let's, let's not worry about how we have to react to stuff like later on, but let's take the students in our population and talk about an action oriented approach that they can cultivate like what's already inside of them so that they never feel underconfident in a room or that they don't have a voice or that, and that they know how to use it. So that's kind of how it was born. That first year, it was, you know, really popular in the studio. People said, let's broaden it. Let's make it bigger. So 2019, early 2020, started applying for the 501c3. And then like the pandemic hit and things got wild. And things with IRS got really delayed. So it kind of just, it, it fizzled out a little because there was, there was just so much to do. And it was like, are we going to be able to bring this back? What will it look like? So everything got organized and we tried like a digital session, but ultimately like the kids were just so zoomed out that we were like, we need to wait until this can come back in person, but let's do let it grow and let's let it make it bigger and let's open it to any organization or program that wants to participate in our modular programming. So this past September, it started back and we have 17 affiliate programs that are participating in this pilot modular program with all around the country. So they have like a weekly guide if they want to do it weekly. And then, for example, like we did the Be the Best You in 2022 event with Snake Experience in January. Well, all of the affiliate programs also got this is how you can plan this for your community guide. So now those are starting to pop up in different states 
with different guest speakers. And it's just, it's really exciting to see this movement take off because people that have, you know, female youth audiences are now leveraging this additional leadership piece where we talk about leadership, perseverance, public speaking, digital branding, entrepreneurship, all of these different things that are good and that need to be discussed, but that you just, there's not enough time to discuss it alongside dance class and still also teach the skill. So this is open to organizations, whether it's private schools, homeschool groups, dance studios. Right now it is predominantly being used by dance studios, but we're hoping to see that grow. And last month, we also have a Gearing Girls for Greatness kind of virtual book club conversation piece. Last month, we did it on beauty sickness and self-image. And all of the women that were on the call were from, I think it was seven or eight different states. And I honestly only knew like three of them. It was amazing. So, so there is this need. Women and educators are so eager to help. And, you know, the girls are eager to learn once they get into the room. We are, we are kind of experiencing this challenge of just fatigue, right? Of, of everybody is just feeling so burdened and burned out just from the day to day. Like how can we continue to excite them to want to come be a part of this like development piece? But like once they get there, they, the, the feedback is that they really enjoy it and then they're excited and they, and they leave um, ready for the next thing. So I'm excited to see where it's going to go. We're still like piloting, figuring it out. We're going to roll out phase two of the modular programming in summer of 2022. And then each year we kind of have like a five phase development so people can jump into the program at any time. And it's, it's completely free. This is, you blew my mind when you said that you just announced to 300 people that you were going to start this group. I was like, holy cow, mind blown. So this is leading into my next question, but is that something that you were just born with, like that desire for action? Because I tend to be more of a person that gets analysis paralysis. Like I get all of this information and then I get, I get paralyzed on where to go and what to do and how to start. So it leads me into my next question. It sounds like you have implemented some of this take action into girls geared for greatness by girl, by parents getting involved and, and getting their kids, their children involved. First of all, how do they get their kids involved? And do you feel like teaching action can be done or is it just the way you're, you're innately made? So I think it's like a half and half. So I do think I am innately made and people that are very close to me are frequently telling me that I'm wired a little bit differently than the average person. Beautifully, but, beautifully <laughs> wired, by the way. <laughs> but I do think that it can be taught because part of Girls Geared for Greatness that we're teaching is project management because we were noticing that that was a weakness, that the ideas are there and, and they're very excited about the ideas. So this year we've kind of settled into this three-phase approach of ideate, activate, execute. Because you have to start, you have to get it going, and then you have to have the follow through. And if the ball drops at any of those three points, the project collapses, right? Or it just goes off to dreamland and never happens. So how are we, how are we getting the idea and how are we seeing it through? And that's been really powerful because 
different people have different strengths in different parts of that three-part phase, right? Like you have people that can have the idea, but maybe they don't have the follow through, or you have the people that are doers that maybe that don't have the idea. And, you know, that's even good for teams in the workplace of, of who really shines in what area and how can you leverage that? So knowing that and kind of bringing that to the table has been exciting and it's been very productive. For example, our leadership lab, which our teen students participate in, this is separate from Girls Geared for Greatness, but it's the idea of it stemmed from Girls Geared for Greatness. They recently did a Candy Grams fundraiser for their benefit show. And the teens were tasked with this ideate, activate, execute. And last year, they also were tasked with this, but there were some cracks. So this year we started and we said, okay, you know, how could this have improved from last year? How can we make it better? They brainstormed it and, you know, we guided them through this process, but they ultimately ended up like last year, I think they sold 680 candy grams this year, they sold 1,930. So they generated and they did the work day in the same amount of time as last year. So they increased almost 250% just by strategizing and following this three-step process a little bit better. And I think that can be coached. It's learning and it's process, right? Like after Candy Grams last year, it there were some challenges and we could have just been like, well, we're not doing this again. But instead of saying that, we said, let's take what we did, let's learn from it and let's do it better. And that's what they did. And I think seeing that process in action is really healthy. So girlsgearedforgreatness.com, there is an email list that you can sign up to be a part of, and we'll be pushing information out on that and following us on social media. We always announce the stuff there too. You had talked about different businesses that want to partner with you. It, how, how would that happen as well? Yeah. So we are always looking for one speakers. So women that have something to share. The amazing thing about this nonprofit is that the programming is no cost to participants and it is open to anyone, you know, that fits the target age range. So women donate their time to share their knowledge. And that has just been amazingly powerful. So any, you know, woman that has something that they are interested in sharing, we would love to hear from them. Businesses like we have done site-specific trainings and events in the past. That was, you know, a little more pre-COVID, but I think we're getting back to where that could be an option. And then donations and funding are, of course, always welcome too, because we eventually want to expand our trainings. We want to do a retreat in the fall. We have just a lot of fun things in the pipeline now that we're we're seeing like what's working, what sticks, and I'm really excited for the future. And I'm really excited for our affiliate programs because they're doing some really amazing things in their states too. And it's, it's so fun to see it pop up and be like, oh my gosh, that's happening in Ohio, or this is happening in Missouri. This is happening in Canada. So it's, it's fun to see. I can't wait for my daughter to be old enough to participate. It's, it's some, we should really program. have it hashed out by then. <laughs> <laughs> well, I will a say a few you, more years we'll be solid. <laughs> you, you got me on the candy grams this year. I got her some, so <laughs> something did work in that, that coaching that you guys went through. What message do you think every mom should hear? just to be confident, you know, that's, that's the biggest thing is to be confident and to know that you were put on this earth to be your child's mom for a reason and to sit in that role with pride and to hold that close to your heart always. Thank you so much, Chasta. It has yeah. truly been a pleasure to talk to you. It was so fun. Was Thank you so much for having me. 
We hope you were able to gain valuable insights from our discussion with Chasta. Here are our three takeaways. Number one, Chasta has had several life-changing events happen to her. When obstacles are being presented, she has chosen to look at them through the lens of what is the opportunity in this obstacle and where can this take me? Asking yourself these questions does not mean that you won't have a wide range of emotions and it's not about having toxic positivity. She encourages people to not use positivity as a costume for the hurt. Be honest in your emotions. Recognize that your experiences can be just absolutely horrible. Things can be bad and yet still processed in a very honest way by crying, calling friends, whatever is needed. And then once you've processed through the experience, there's a point where it's time to move into action. You've processed the experience, the challenge behind it, and now what can you do to address it? The experience can be used to help you determine what comes next in your life, or you can keep it as just a piece of your story and use it as advice that you take for yourself moving forward. Number two, there needs to be more inclusivity in our world. There needs to be more inclusivity in the dance space. Let's stop saying that dance isn't for a specific gender or person. Instead of exclusion in her profession, Chasta has chosen to educate and ask others the question, what do you need as a human to be able to experience and appreciate and enjoy what we're teaching? Remaining curious and open to dance being for everyone. Chasta strives to educate and make dance comfortable for everyone in her studios. She wants people to understand that there are numerous benefits of dance beyond just being a physical extracurricular activity. These benefits include increased confidence, learning discipline, work ethic, collaborative teamwork. We are born with a natural rhythm in our hearts. Just look at babies and toddlers as they begin bopping around at such young ages. Chasta yearns for dance to be seen as a skill that should be developed and not stifle an expression that is so natural. Number three, when we asked Chasta if her ability to take action was taught to her or if it was how she was innately made, she replied by saying that she feels it's half and half. All people are created with different strengths that can be harnessed for success, but she believes the project management piece is all about learning and being coached. She continued to explain that in a teen program she runs called Leadership Lab, they are teaching project management and coaching participants through a three-phase approach of ideate, activate, and execute. With any project, you have to get it started, maintain its development, and follow it through to completion. If at any point in the process the ball is dropped, then the project collapses and never has the chance to happen. Along this process, you'll have individuals who are strong in different areas. There are the people who can have the idea, but perhaps not the follow through, or have the people that are the doers and maybe don't generate the ideas. Becoming clear that each person has areas where they excel is important. Leveraging each individual's strengths and applying them to the development of a project is a true definition of teamwork. And that is a beneficial life skill to learn at any age. Bye bye, friend. We've enjoyed hanging out with you. Follow us so you're the first to know when we drop a new episode. If you enjoyed your time with us, let us know by leaving a review. We always love hearing from you. Until next time, stay true to you. Thank you.